Greetings, folks, and welcome to Gig Gab 17, episode 17, the Working Musicians Podcast, where we talk about all kinds of things applicable to working musicians and applicable to anybody who's interested in what we working musicians do. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And out in Las Gatas, California, Paul Kent. It's good to talk to you, Paul. I had a busy weekend, man. I was just going to say it's been a long week for me, uh, but... Uh, Busy weekend too. You had, you had some gigs this weekend, didn't you? I had four gigs in five days. And on the gig, on the day I didn't have a gig, I had a rehearsal. So pretty much Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I was playing a lot of music. I, I posted on our Facebook page altogether. It was about 350 miles played for probably 6,500 people. One was a wedding, beautiful wedding. And uh, we had a really good time though. It was like the beginning of our busy season. Yep. And and uh, we crushed it. And we had a we had a great weekend. Oh, that's awesome, man. So tell First, me about the gigs, or, yeah, or, or so, at least the highlights from them. Yeah. Well, so Wednesday night was an acoustic gig. I did. I'll, this is pretty funny. I did two hours myself before my friends who I have the trio with. They had a charity gig, so they got there for the last hour. So I'm doing two hours myself. And the funny story from that is, the the venue has a stage. It's kind of wide and kind of way off to the side. Um, there's actually a table that's part of the restaurant. And so people will come up there. And, and this was a night when the Warrior basketball game was on. The Warriors are doing really well in the playoffs. So some guy and about a 14-year-old kid come and sit at that table, which is kind of at the far end of the stage. It's not a high stage. I mean, it's not like you're going backstage to get onto this thing. But it's just like this one step up type of thing. And uh, I'm playing solo acoustic. And on the one hand, any th- anytime anything good happens for the Warriors – the whole audience starts clapping, which is incredibly distracting. And it got kind of funny because they won the game and, you know, it was a pretty intense game. So that was one thing. But this guy who sits at the end of the edge of the stage, he's watching, I guess it's with his son. And all of a sudden his cell phone rings really loud oh. and he grabs it and he hurries out the back door, which is, you know, off the back of the stage. Sure. And he takes his call, comes back in two minutes later, really loud rings again. He goes outside, takes the call. This happens two more times What in a span of about 15 minutes. He takes four calls and the ring is crazy loud, really distracting. Finally, I stop the song that I'm in and I just look at him. And I go, dude, give me a break. And he just kind of waves at me and you know, kind of sits down. And, you know, that was the end of that. So the next day on Facebook, a friend of mine goes, hey, you handled that guy pretty well with the with the phone. I said, well, that was unfortunate. And someone else chimes in. Yeah, that was the owner of the restaurant. <laughs> well yeah (laughs) i mean i don't know i I mean it pays to know your crowd yeah it does pay to know the crowd i don't know that i would have handled it any different i might have teased him a little bit about it more if if i knew it was him but uh i mean who does that right why wouldn't he mute the phone at least right so i mean we have these you know these things maybe before gigs we should start making those announcements like please silence your cell phones and you know put away your pagers and and uh because stuff. common sense doesn't exist anymore right because yeah exactly nobody people are here to see and hear what we're going to do not what you're going to do so well the yeah. funny thing is you'd think the guy who owns a restaurant you know he has these patrons that are hopefully enjoying the music he wouldn't want to interrupt their experience um if if he were to think of that that's right yeah I, mean, I don't think he's a bad guy. He has no. a reputation of being a good guy, but, yeah, but sure. it was just weird. It was four times and, and you know, there's a punchline to the story that, uh, you know, that's I probably funny. lost the gig. So, no, oh, well, you know, that's, okay. yeah, it happens. Get, you, one loses gigs. It happens. You, you yeah. can't, it, no, even if things are going perfectly well, anything can happen that would cause 
that gig to no longer be available to you or even potentially anyone, right? I mean, the place That's closes, true. it sells. I've, and we, I'm sure you've seen it. I know I have where you get a great relationship with the club and then it like literally burns to the ground. Like, oh. But this actually speaks to like the value of experience because I mean, this guy or this club has, you know, occasionally canceled gigs yep. and you know, done, done a couple of things. When you get to the point where you just are worried about the quality of what you're trying to convey in your performance and if something messes with that, you're willing to say, hey, that's not cool. There's a certain freedom in that and a certain power in that. If I get fired from this gig over that incident, I don't know that I would have done it any different. You know, I'll go right. play somewhere else. Right? Yeah, we right. Well, we we at some level, I mean, yes, we're, you know, for the most part out there playing cover tunes and we're not saving lives here. Right. But uh, but we are doing it for fun. And, and if you can't have some freedom to be who you are at the gig, then it's the wrong gig for you. Right. Yeah. So anyway, that was, that was Wednesday night. So there's a funny story <laughs> came out of that. Uh, We're never going to get to the topic here. No, this is here good. We go. Keep going. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Thursday, we had um, our last brush up rehearsal before this very big gig on Friday. And the rehearsal was really meh. <laughs> it was really like. That's eh. the best though. Well, but when you know, you got a big gig the next day experience will tell you that that's the best. And actually it turned out being the best. Everybody was super focused and we crushed it on Friday night. Very big gig, you know, probably maybe two, 3000 people. Is this one of those uh, outdoor wine festival style? Yeah, our, gigs? our first one of the year. It's actually okay. a concert, a concert series. And, uh, you know, we got there, there were tons of people there already. The sound system was unbelievably pro. I mean, you know, where you could just really feel the depth and power of a great sound system. So you didn't do your own sound. They had somebody doing it for you. Yeah, they provide the sound. Beautiful, two big arrays and you know, giant subs and, you know, plenty of nice digital board with lots of um, with lots of monitor mixes. Everybody got exactly what they want. Nice. And we crushed it. I was we were and then we got off stage and we were so giddy that it felt so good to have that size of crowd again and to play like that. And I mean, we were on fire. So then then we go the next day. It was a really big stage on Friday night. We go the next night to a, you know, we're really literally on top of each other playing a wedding in a very small ballroom yeah. on Saturday. And we, you know, it's funny because you reflect, you know, you got to stay humble because, yep. you know, you get the rock star treatment one night and then the next night it's a, it's a casual and casuals are what casuals are. This was a great casual. It was out in Carmel, California, beautiful golf club, incredibly nice people. The fun part of Saturday was it was someone about 27 years old getting married and we have a few um, kind of like the last 10 years, last five years tunes in our repertoire. But, you know, most, most of our stuff is a little bit of 60s, a lot of 70s, a lot of 80s stuff. But we went over great and we, we played OK. I think we were kind of on a hangover. And, you know, once you have that beautiful feeling of sound and then you're on top of each other and you have that kind of claustrophobic, you know, hard to hear type of thing. Uh, but we went over great. The kids were awesome. I mean, they were just having such a great celebration and it had its own joy in its own way. So that was, that was a blast. That was a late gig that took us to, well, there was, yeah, I think the gig ended about 1130 and it's about 75 miles away from here. So, oh. uh, yeah, so it was pretty far away. Yeah. So that was 1130. Terry and I stayed the night down there that night. Oh, nice. But then we had to, we had to wake up and turn around and had to go the 75 miles back to here. And then another 60 miles in the other direction. So that, so Carmel South, and then the Sunday gig, a 2 p.m. downbeat was 60 miles north of here. So 135 miles, uh, you know, in that one in that yeah. one morning. 
and well, we did great again. It was a, it was a, it was our first art and wine festival challenge there. You know, you only got 30 minutes to set up. Yeah. Not really a sound check, more a line check. And, uh, but we went out and we were just feeling good about ourselves and we had a lot of fun, a couple of different goofs, maybe from being tired, a little bit of lack of focus on Sunday, but we got through those. Oh, Nick's keyboard started having some weird electrical um, issues and he was, you know, he was a total pro. I mean, he just, he has a second keyboard and he just, I mean, I could, I could tell cause I know him. Sure. He was disappointed that he didn't have his, you know, a rig for what he wanted to play on, but he just went to the other rig and just, uh, and just kept going. And so, um, so that's it worked what, out that's great. What you People do. Loved yeah. It. yeah. 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 And that's the that thing about being a pro, you know, when you are relaxed and you know how good it can be, the, you take the weird stuff in context, you know, it, yeah. you'll fix it. And at the end of the day, the most important thing are the people enjoying the music. And we had three great ones in a row. So That's feeling awesome. very lucky, very fortunate. It was awesome. How about you? It's a, I, I, I just wanted to say, it's cool that, uh, that Terry gets to go with you to these things. You know, you're, you're, you're at that point. Not, I'm not quite there yet. Right. And I'm not rushing to get there. It'll happen soon enough that the kids are out of the house. Right. But, uh, but that's a nice little, that's a nice little treat. Kind of Well, be careful, Dave, because the wedding was a family friend and my poor wife had to sit by herself, you know, yeah. while her date was playing in the band. So it, it is, is great that. that she went. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Lisa knows that all too well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I had, um, I had two gigs this weekend, both acoustic, uh, in on the surface, both with the same band, um, it's an acoustic trio called we call it Monkey Fist. Uh, it is the singer and one of the guitar players from the full band Chafed that I play in semi occasionally. The the Monkey Fist thing plays far more frequently, and those those two actually play out as a duo without me probably more often than the three of us play together. So they're locked in tight, and uh, and then I come in and I play uh, either congas or like like I said lately I've been playing that that wearable cajon that I got from Pitch Slap. And, uh, and I sing harmonies and, and it's great. And we had a killer night on, uh, on Friday at this place we've played in the past little pizza kind of place. And, and it's a nice little bar and somewhat family friendly, but you know, it's, it's a bar and it, it it's a blast. Sound is always cool. pretty good in there. Yep. And we had, I mean, the harmonies were just killer all night long. We were having fun. We had a, a very engaged crowd. They were pulling up requests. We actually, <laughs> somebody requested an REM tune and, Johnny brought up on the iPad. Uh, I, I don't uh, the, the 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 losing my religion. I'm like, yeah, you know, there's so many better songs. And I saw above it, he had the chords for "It's the End of the World." And I said, mm. "Oh, we'll do that." And he's like, "I don't know those words." And I'm like, "I got this." And that's a lot of words, man. Somehow, those words that I had packed oh in there gosh. in the '80s came out. You know, I was on my way home from a gig about six months ago, and for whatever reason, that song came up on a playlist. And I stopped it halfway through and I thought, you know, I should go back to the beginning and refresh review these because someday, somewhere, this It'll is going to come in handy. This is going to come in handy. And sure enough, yeah, it, it came came true. So that's a, that's a lot of words. Oh, man. <laughs> it was a blast, though. The crowd was. Into and it, it doesn't. That's the thing about like most R.E.M. songs. Not only is it a lot of words, it makes absolutely hmm. no sense at all. There's no story to lock onto to remember the words. Not even a little bit. No, <laughs> no, not not even. I a told little. you. My favorite uh, story about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is when Eddie Vedder uh, in, in, induces, uh, what's it, um, introduces REM into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he, he's giving all these gushing, you know, about how great they are and how much they influenced him. And then he says, but I have to ask one question. 
what does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. I, and I think, you know, they even Michael Stipe back then didn't really know what he was doing. And, and when they came back around and, and did those gigs in Dublin where they were um, playing a lot of old stuff and really kind of digging it out, he had a it wasn't an iPad, but he had, you know, uh, lyrics that someone had printed off the Internet for all their songs because he didn't know the lyrics to the old stuff either. And he'd kind of forgotten it. And but, but he would get to parts and be like, this is actually wrong. You know, this, uh, <laughs> but he couldn't really tell what it was. But, um, bar, yeah. yeah. And then, and then Saturday night, it was another acoustic gig. Uh, it was booked actually as, as what we call Hamnesiac, which is the acoustic trio from fling, but our keyboard player couldn't make it. And so I thought, well, I'll just bump it to monkey fist. No problem. But the guitar player from Monkey Fist couldn't make it. So we had to mash the two together and, and call it ham fisted. And uh, and so that was John on vocals and Russ from Fling on guitar. And the three of us had played. So this was a new club. Uh, the three of us had played together once before a year ago, and it really didn't go all that well. I mean, it, again, you know, it came across fine, I'm sure. But John and Russ were having a real hard time locking in with each other because John's really used to doing the acoustic thing with Jimmy and and Russ is relatively new to the acoustic thing. And in, and in the acoustic thing, as, as I'm sure you found out, you as the guitar player, you're the drummer, right? You drive the train. And, and even though I'm there with, with, you know, things that are drums, I'm not the driver. I'm, I'm the accompaniment, right? And, and so they, it got a little weird. And so I said before this gig, I said, we should really rehearse to get you guys comfortable with each other and kind of go through some of these trickier parts and, and just lock in. And as schedules go, we had a couple of things scheduled and then, and then it wound up getting bounced for one reason or another. So we walked into the gig with no rehearsal, but we all kind of were eyes wide open that, you know, we've got to, we've got to make this work. And it was killer. It was so good. Russ. I mean, there were, there were those shaky moments, but there were also some really beautiful moments that just kind of came out of nowhere. And, um, and harmonies were still good. And, and, and all of that. And, and the club turned out, we weren't sure about this place because it's a new place. And it was, I'd never even walked in the door there before. The guy who uh, books there is someone I've worked with elsewhere. Um, in fact, it was, he was working at the club that burned down, but, uh, but he works, you know, and so it worked out great. It was, uh, it was one of those gigs and it was a seven thirty to ten thirty, which um, is always a nice treat. Cause you actually so I'm curious when you, when you play with monkey fist since the other two guys uh, play out a lot, are you are you coming in and adding a third harmony that they don't usually have, or is one of the guys? Are you taking one of the guys' spots and he's taking a different part? Uh, so Jimmy can't sing at all. So when Monkey Fist plays without me, they don't have harmonies. Okay, it's, got it. It's just John singing, and he's John has one of these voices. He's got like that perfect copycat for the '90s tunes voice. It, you know, he's like bare naked ladies, and also you know John Mellencamp. He just totally nails. But all those '90s bands, you know, the the Sister Hazel and the the uh, you know the Third Eye Blind and 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 Toad the Wet Sprocket or whatever. I don't know all those. He's just he just has it for that. Plus all the the Skinner and the you know the the John Mellencamp stuff. He just nails. Yeah, yeah so he's like a very malleable you know type of. Uh, voice can take it in a lot of different directions. Yeah, he really, and he, and he just, he's got a big voice and it. It's, he sounds great by himself, uh, but he's, cool. it's a pleasure singing harmonies with him. It locks in like butter. Mm. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. So we had a good time and it, it worked out great. And uh, you know, but it, it's, you know, I, I like those gigs where you have to walk in on edge a little bit because 
you know, that's what it's all about. You're playing live music. It's live art, right? You, you, you got to have a little, little anxiety about it. I think. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, like you mentioned, Nick's keyboard kind of, you know, going on the fritz. I, I mean, those moments simultaneously suck because you don't have your a rig and you don't get to do all the things you want, but you look back on them and you're like, Hey, I actually made that work. You know, I found a cool new thing to do that. I never would have thought to do before. So I kind of like that stuff. The thing that you walk away from any gig with is how it went over. I mean, the yes. details of what happened along with it become minor details. If you go over great, if you didn't go over great and you knew it could have been better if everything had worked out, then you kind of beat yourself up about it. But the biggest thing, yeah. and it's amazing in our band, we talk about it a lot. You know, I think we have very good players. We talk it. Our band is very, you know, 10 pieces. So it's a lot of sonic stuff coming at you. Yeah. And I, you know, we have really, really, really good positive energy that we, you know, we pick songs that make people happy. We're not trying to challenge people too much with, uh, you know, dark material, that type of stuff. But, uh, th- we had, a, we had three great gigs in a row where the vibe coming back, that beautiful circle when you're putting it out and then they're giving it back. And so you want to put it out even more. It, yep. it was really awesome. You know, I, I felt so, I was spent by Sunday night from having played so much music, but it was the best spent ever. It totally is. Ah, that's great. That's awesome. So our topic for today is, uh, you said it best and I, and I'm going to paraphrase, but then you're going to fix it for me because that's how (laughs) it works. But, uh, what it means to be a pro, how do, how do you prepare for a gig? Right. Yeah. And I think, I think about the one term that goes through everybody's mind. If you're a musician and you're preparing to play music, I got this. Uh-huh. That line, I got this, is a very different thing to different types of preparation. There's a lot of guys, and if you're kind of the semi-pro, you know, or weekend warrior, very often you don't got this. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you're right. I mean, it's you know, I, I'm actually not a huge baseball fan, but it it's those three words, right? Are they say are the they're the the difference between two outfielders crashing into each other and one guy making the play of his life. Right. You know, good one. Yeah. um, And because it's, I've got this ahead of time for the prep, but also in real time. And, and, and on Saturday night, there were definitely some moments where we looked at each other like, okay, something's about to happen and we've never done this together before. So who's driving the bus and somebody just needs to say, I got it. Follow me. And, and you know, hopefully he's got it. (laughs) I think anyone who plays music or, or goes on stage and it doesn't go quite the way you think it would. And then you think back on that point in time where you convinced yourself you were ready to put something on stage and it didn't go right. Everybody goes back and says, well, why did I do that? I can, I can practice harder. I, I should be more realistic with myself that it is not there. Your singing part, your, you know, your harmony part, your instrumental part, your, yeah. your rhythm part, whatever it is, you know, this intrinsically, you know, this, but I don't know. There's something, uh, at least about me, I'm amazed how uh, with me more than often it's lyrics. I mm. think I've got it. And I'm amazed when I go out to play and something that I'm pretty sure it is locked in fails me the first couple times. And I know that I should have a much more stringent litmus test for what, when I'm really gig ready. And, and you know, I have time to prepare. You know, I know when the gigs are coming up and I prepare my band by telling them what we're going to work on at rehearsal and I know for me, mostly it's about lyrics. That's the hardest thing for me, for me to just lock in and get, and get locked down. Harmonies, harmonies are hard, but 
you know, I, I sing a lot in our band, I sing about half the show. Right. And, and we turned over half the show this year. So, you know, I've got seven, eight, 10, you know, brand new songs that I'm singing lyrics. I think I've got it. I'm quite sure I've got it. And I go through this whole <laughs> ritual because I know that I have a horrible mind for this stuff. So I go through this thing where, you know, once I think I've got it, the next thing I do is I write the lyrics down with no cue. Yeah. You know, about 25 times, hoping that that process of writing to paper will lock something in my mind. All that's really doing is advancing the ball about 15 yards. It's helping, <laughs> but it's not, you know, you think after 25 times, you know, a guy's thick head, it would, it would lock in. Yeah. But then you have to, you have to sing the song a lot. You have to sing it in the context of your band, because if, if, you, if you're not fully confident with something and your band member does something different than what you're expecting. And, and you know, and that's the other thing. Well, that's it. it. Yeah. Once you get in your head, you're dead. Once you have to think it, it's a horrible thing. It's over. Yeah. I, so, I don't, why is that? You know, you're going to have to intellectually like, recall some memory, but once you're not just, just acting out a reflex, you have two doors you can go down. Why do you, why if you're in your head, do you always go down the wrong door? It's always the wrong why does door. That always. If always. You, you're like, Oh, you know, I'm coming up to this fork in the road. When playing music, you, if you take the left turn, cause your brain told you to go left, you're dead. You're every dead. Time. You did the wrong thing. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, bizarre. Yeah. It, and it's totally the case. Um, for me, it's not lyrics. Uh, it's song forms. Mm. It, that's the thing that it, it just takes me the longest to really get. And it, I mean, it's important as a, as a drummer, you know, I've got to play each transition with confidence, right? Because it, it's, if I don't think thing, well, if the rest of the band really knows the tune, then it's fine. I can, you know, sort of muddle through and, and they'll drag me there. But otherwise it, it doesn't sound as good if, you know, if I'm not hitting those, those transitions or setting them up with a fill and, and doing it appropriately and all of right. that. But, um, but it's, it's the song, it's the transitions and the, the song form in it, in a general sense that really gets me. And, and that was of course the issue that caused you to tackle me on stage was <laughs> I totally blew the song form and it, you I know, that up, did you? <laughs> well, no, I, I didn't intend to, but that's, you know, that's where it is. And, and I have that problem. I think I mentioned, mentioned it with chafed because we play a lot of those nineties tunes, you know, the sixties stuff, seventies, some of the seventies stuff uh, is tough, but you know, that nineties and, and kind of early two thousand stuff. They were these pop songs that had these weird stops and weird turns and weird breaks. And it's like playing country music. It sounds simple, yeah, but it's, it's, and the parts might be simple, each one of them, but you know, you got to know how they all link together before the tune even starts. And And that's one of the interesting thing about playing with the horns because you know, them are, you know, kind of classically trained jazz. They really think in terms of the a section, the B section, the C section, and songs make sense intrinsically to them. And so a lot of pop songs that take these detours are really hard to communicate what's going on between us. That's my problem. I grew up playing jazz. It is. I mean, that's where I came from is it's like, how come it doesn't do this? Or how come the end of the, the second time through the B section, it, you know, it stops for two bars while the singer sings something without any accompaniment. I, right. I, you know, but, so that, this, but that's I, what makes the song good. I mean, that's the punchline to the tune. You gotta, you know, you gotta hit it. So, yeah. Otherwise, all songs would sound the remarkably. Yeah. I mean, all songs would be three and a half inch long. That's it. Pop songs, exactly. which is once upon a time they were. Right. Well, that's why the 60s stuff is easy to play. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you do any of this reading about like Lennon and McCartney writing songs and, you know, the middle eight, the middle eight. Right. Yeah. There was a form and a format and a formula that got young songwriters going. Totally. 
And then it and got they broke. took all they took all the good ones, and now people have to That's get creative. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I mean, they put it's out like three hundred and sixty tunes in nine years or eight years or whatever. That's crazy. All great too. I know. I know. Okay, can, actually, literally, can you say is there is there a bad Beatles song? A bad Beatles song? <sighs> no. No. They, I mean, they all have some redeeming quality. They might not all be like number ones, but they've all got something to them. That's like, that's uh, it's not terrible. Yeah. Their internal filters were really good. Yeah. I don't know. So the, a little bit more about this. I got this. Then yeah. you play in a band and you have multiple people whose, whose gauge of, I got this are all different. And like you said, like you and I play together lyrics for me form for you yep you, you get that this could end up like it's amazing we ever get any songs done if you have five guys or ten guys yeah. with their own i got this right well but you you learn for the most part and we and we all have our moments uh like you said but you 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 know i know that the right thing for me to do is to chart out the tune on paper right well to, there's there's several things for me to prep i i need to listen to the tune incessantly in the car Right. Just in the background, it, I just need to make it and I will learn form by osmosis. I, I, I've proven this to myself, but I have to listen a lot and I'll catch those little transitions. And and it helps once I've played the tune once, because I kind of in my head identify the trouble spots and then I'll, I'll focus in on those and it comes together pretty quickly. Um, but on a tune where I'm having real trouble or don't have the time to prep the right thing to do for me is to just chart it out. And I have a whole system that makes it very, very simple to do now. Do I do that all the time that I should? No, of course because I, I got this because I got this. I'll, I'll follow Paul. Well, you know, you and I got to play together once a year. So you gave me a head nod and I'm thinking that's the end of the tune. All right, we're done. <laughs> not not so much as it turns out. That was not what that head nod meant. You know, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In my band, the bassist, you know, I tease him all the time that he gets employee of the year every year because he does not miss a practice where he has not written in his own kind of shorthand, weird, yeah. you know, index cards. He's always prepared and, you know, rehearsal. It's okay. We, what we don't do and probably more bands should do is actually have tech rehearsals, like really run your show yeah. or run quite a bit with no music stands, with no, you know, cheat sheets off book. Because what happens is off book. Yeah. So what happens is it sounds great in rehearsal but you don't realize if you're glancing you, and you walk away from those rehearsals, knowing the gig is kind of up and you say, Oh, I just got to brush up on this, this, and this. I got this. Yep. And then you start reflecting on how great the rehearsal went and you're not so worried about it. You forget your incredibly fallible memory is what I typically do. Yep. And, uh, and then you get on stage and your pants fall down. So, well, and like you said, e even if you know it well enough, that you're confident you get on stage. Like I can, I can get through this. It's not, it's not going to be the one that just comes naturally, but if I think about it, I'm fine. And, and that's true right up until something distracts you. And right. let's, you know, and let's face it. Like you said, within your situation, there's nine other guys on stage, let alone how many other people are in the room watching you. Right. I mean, yeah. there are all kinds of things that can go wrong. So yeah, you got to So now I have this, the question that actually was a, a longstanding question from, uh, from I'll, I'll call him listener. Number one, uh, uh, my friend Russ, who, who actually played with us Saturday night. Uh, how do you feel about having music stands slash iPads or, you know, those cheat sheets right there on stage in front of you? 
Uh, I, I actually have strong feelings about it and I'm going to be careful here because, you know, in my group, there's um, the, the horns use charts. charts. Sure. And over the years we've come to, you know, I've like, why, why do I have to memorize stuff? And you don't have to memorize stuff. And they're like, it's a lot of notes, man. You know, it's, it's, it's really beneficial for us to have these here. And the other thing is we have, we have in play probably about 125 songs. Okay. Pretty good library, right? Yeah. And we like to be able to pull anything out. We like to be able to take requests, you know, so, so we've come to a compromise where, uh, X amount of songs get memorized. And that's when the horns will like come out from their section and go out in the audience or come out in front of the stage. And so we, we got to compromise on it and, uh, it's worked out fine. You know, some of the songs we've been playing for so long, they're just committed to their memory, but they have, um, charts. Yeah. And then there's, there is the occasional need, you know, for a, for a lyric sneak. I don't do it in this band in a black Sunday Roadshow, the, the 16 piece band, because it plays so irregularly. I do use uh, an iPad on a, on a mount on my mic stand, but in the house rockers occasionally, you know, there's a need for cheat sheets. And I guess the thing is, you know, obviously that's not good, which is not okay. Right. You know, there's no, well, there's no way you may, can say maybe. And I don't think the guys to you and it. me. Uh, yeah. I have, I have some thoughts on this too, but go ahead and finish. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think when, when they're used, it's a last resort. And you know, the, again, that's the, I guess you could say that's someone saying, I don't got it. And they say, I'd rather me, I'd rather not have that visual distraction or, or, you know, I'd rather have the freedom to, but I'll just like make up words or, or repeat a verse. If I'm really, if I'm really sunk, you know, those are the guys like, you know, I guess I got to acknowledge they'd rather have it right than be stuck entirely with their pants down. Yeah. I guess I've, I, I, over the years, and this is again, this is, I got it. This is that moving, moving line of rationale where you're like, well, I know the form and when it comes up to it, if the words don't come to me, I, I will do what I've always done. I'll repeat a verse or I'll, you know, I'll substitute words or make a joke out of it or anything like that. It goes over. Okay. You know, I don't think it's ever cost me a gig not having the exact right words, but at the end of the day, you know, you got to ask yourself a question, what's right and what's not right. I always have a lot more work to do to get my level of perfection where it needs to be. And just, I'm getting uncomfortable actually having this conversation. I've got to thinking of all the times that this happens to me. Yeah. And yeah. you know, and the only solution you got to work, you got to work and work and work and work and work. So in, uh, in fling, our keyboard player has an iPad on his keyboards, right? And, uh, he's got a mount and everything and it's there a hundred percent of the time. And, and it, as, as Russ, uh, said, iPads on stage are like crack, you know, how do you break the addiction? Because uh -huh. because it happens. Right. You know, Aaron, he's a great guy. He's uh, he didn't used to have the iPad on stage for years. He would, you know, occasionally pull out a chart and put it on the keyboard and sneak it like you're talking about, you know, if it's a new tune and he needed to sort through it. But otherwise it was all there. And then he wound up uh, his his job thing, his company, I guess, was acquired or something. And so he's have to, had to do a lot of travel. He's not around a lot during the week. So uh, we don't often get to rehearse with him. And he just doesn't have a lot of time at home. He's on the road a lot. And so uh, it in his mind and he might be right about this. He might not. But, you know, in his mind, it 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 came down to, well, if I don't have the iPad on stage, I'm just not playing these songs often enough to really commit them to memory. And, and you know, his life situation is just such that that he doesn't play as often as he would want to. Um, and 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 at some level, I think that's true. But but there is this 
this addiction component of it, because uh. a lot of these tunes now he's got to have in his memory if he just turned the thing off. But, you know, it's right there. It's probably better if I have it on, you know, but but then it's are you just glancing down at it at the moments where you need to? Or are you just staring at the iPad for the whole gig and just reading music and not? Well, again, there's, I think you can say, and anybody would agree, are you performing to the people or, you know, are you acknowledging that there's an audience out there? Or are you transfixed on something that's in front of you? That's right. And, yeah. and I don't think you can be both. No, I, you, you, know, you I, totally can't. That's right. You know, if you were to say what's truly right and the guys will say, Hey, there's only X amount of hours in a week and this is what I can do. And, and some people are some people that's their line. I, I can bring it on stage. I won't make any mistakes. My trade-off is, is I'm not as completely fixed on the performance, but I'm going to get all the technical parts of it right. Yep. To me, that's the trade-off, and I'm willing to make that trade-off. And that's where you kind of get into that. You know, I, I, I've been to – my horn section actually played uh, for the Temptations when they came through town many, oh, nice. many, many years ago. Yeah, so the, you know, the Temps come to town playing these festivals. They play the exact show every, every night. They hire a local horn section because they're going to travel with the horn section. Yeah, right. You walk in middle of the day, uh, the, the temp's musical director runs you through the show one time really quick and, uh, and they give you the charts and you sit there with the charts. I mean, it's not unheard of for charts to be, especially with horns, but I, I really like personally, my style is to really want everybody in the band focused on the audience and always yep. all the time. Yep. And I had, you know, I had a moment, uh, a couple of moments. We had, like I said, Friday night turned into a request night. And so the people were requesting tunes and somebody requested Johnny Cash. I thought, you know, I know the lyrics to Folsom Prison Blues, but it's been five years since I've sang this song. So I need a refresher. And so John pulled up the, you know, I was bantering and and again, this is where, you know, you trust each other. And so. I knew as I was talking to this guy, John knew where I was going. He's busy pulling up, you know, lyrics on his iPad for, uh, for Folsom prison. And, and then we started the tune and, uh, and all I needed to look at was the first line of each verse, you know, right. and, and then I it's was in, in. There. it's it. Yeah. And then it yeah. kind of came out and it was like, fine. Okay, great. And, uh, but, but you know, there is the temptation to just say, well, it's all right here. I'll just stare at this and play yeah. and it's going to be fine. But you have to, you know, for me, it was, that was not an option, right? I had this crowd that was engaged with us. And so I'm going to continue to engage with them. And I'm hoping that they don't even notice that I very occasionally, you know, steal a split second glance at, oh, okay, it's that first. Uh, Got it. You know? Yeah. yeah. Cause you just want it to be this natural thing. I do, you know, uh, and so I again, hope to you, never lose that. You can remember all the words to the end of the world, but Folsom Prism, you had to cheat. That's crazy to me. That's the thing. Yeah. <clears throat> but, you know, did, <laughs> the question is, and but th- th- this is still a valid point, right? And, and I think I did pretty well with it where I still maintain, you know, interaction with the audience. But did I really need those lyrics for Folsom Prison? I mean, if we didn't have the iPad there and Jimmy had just started it up, I would have sang the first verse. And then something would have happened. It either would have been the second, third or fourth verse would have come out and we would have played a little more. And then some other verse or the first verse again would come out and we'd finish the tune and we'd, you know, take a round of applause and move on to the next thing. Yep. And I wouldn't have needed the iPad at all. Did it add anything for the audience or did it just add something for me? Right. And, and I'll never, I won't know the answer to that. I may have remembered all four verses. Who knows? It's happened. I remember moments on stage with, with, I remember we had one moment 
we were playing uh it was that stones version of uh of uh, that cover tune duran duran did route 66 mm-hmm. i don't know why i thought of duran duran but they duran did duran did route 66 yeah uh, it was pretty good actually it was wow. weird yeah but we were playing it and i the, the i think this third verse second verse whatever it was i went to sing it i couldn't think of the words and i just opened my mouth and sang and the right words came out you know but I didn't. I, I once had a. Um, I can't remember. Maybe it was a. Maybe it was a voice teacher who actually said that they were giving me kind of the philosophy about how stuff that's in your mind is actually in your mind, and it's it's more about emoting will get you to the place a lot faster than thinking. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it certainly worked that night. It was like, hey, <laughs> ooh, thank goodness. All right, cool. I mean, I didn't. I would have sang something. From? You know, right. it doesn't. And that's the thing is, it, unless it's in it, and you know. If it is somebody's favorite line, oh, well, you know, I, I blew it and I'm sorry. But for the most part, getting one thing wrong here or there, to me, that's that's an acceptable compromise to having just lyrics in front of you all night long. I agree. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So I have a I have a question I want to kind of rewind. And this this still kind of speaks to this this whole gig preparedness thing. But I'm I'm curious. So you played a couple of gigs with the house rockers this weekend. It sounded like um, some of them were with your own sound system. And so you have whatever you have, but you're comfortable with it and you've got bill running the sound. And then you had at least one where the sound was provided and, and all of that. Uh, And it sounds like the one that where the sound was provided, uh, things went pretty well for you. Uh, Is well, let me, I'll let me show you. It was, it's three very different situations. So the, the Friday night gig, was a, a great sound system and the guy who knows our band fairly well. He, you know, we've played this gig Got with him it. a couple of times. So that's one thing. That's and different. Then, yeah. And then also, you know, Bill's incredible. He just, even if there, if, if it hasn't been negotiated up front, he has a great way of just making friends with the guys and saying, Hey, you know, I, I know this, a show and he ends up behind the mixing board almost every time. Yep. The equipment was great. And, and we got to ground zero of a mix, you know, during setup pretty well. We didn't get to play a song through. We just really got line checks. Um, so that was Friday night. And then we, so that's a huge stage, that was a big huge gig. sound okay. system. That was the big gig. That's then we go to Saturday, we go to a wedding with our sound system. But again, no, barely even a line check for this, right? right. Because it's a wedding, right? You can't, you can't, can't. you certainly aren't going to get there 10 hours before and play a song. Um, and it was a long, crazy long day. So in a, in addition to it being 75 miles from me, we had to be there at five o'clock for load in sure. because the guests arrive at five 30 and then this, you know, the ceremony goes six to six 30 and then cocktail hour and then dinner. And then we ended up, didn't even play till about eight 30. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, the guys had already been there three hours before we even played a note, but we didn't get a sound check there. And that was our sound system. And then we go sure. to Sunday afternoon Again, another festival the, you know, we always do a good job of, of, uh, I send out our, our stage plot. Bill does a great job. I mean, we're, I, I rave about Bill all the time because literally we'd be a disaster without him. He'll call the guy or send an email saying, Hey, you know, can we do a quick chat and he gets him ready for us. And we were lucky again, this guy had mixed us before. Yep. And so he knew if a 10 piece band shows up somewhere and there's no advance, you're, it's going to take an hour. Well, that, that to, was, so that was my question when you're, when you're playing there's two questions. Number one, do, which do you prefer? Do you prefer to just have your own gear and, and maybe have it not be, you know, exactly with all the huge subs and arrays that you can have if you're, if it's permanent or, and, and then the, the second question is, 
on, on a gig like Friday night, even with the engineer knowing you, how long does it take you? You said you got a really comfortable mix. How long did that, how long did that take? Cause that's part of being a pro is being able to, to walk into that scenario and say, okay, I know what I need bare minimum. I'm not going to dominate this with my, you know, tiny little preferences. I'm going to get what I need and move on. So the next guy can go. Uh, so the answer is I always have a fighting chance at winning. Cause I have bill. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, I no, mean, I get it. You know, I get it. He does the advanced work. Yeah. He, you know, he, with 10 guys, the number of inputs on stage, and he brings his his uh, his his uh, chart. Yep. I mean, he's he's always gives us a fighting chance to get up there, get mic'd, and get some kind of a mix. And if the guy already knows us, then we have a pretty good chance of it. Sure. Um, do I prefer our own system? As just long as long as I prefer Bill. Yeah. Um, I don't really. I we've only had a couple gigs where we've played somewhere where the sound is provided where it's been a disaster because either the the gear was crap or the people running it were crap. Yep. That doesn't happen too terribly often. Yep. And, and uh, usually that's not a negotiable thing. If the, if the gigs are so big that, it, that someone's going to provide sound, it's probably a bigger system that we typically have. Yeah. You right. Know, exactly. Like this is, yeah. yeah. So, so it's a, it's a different thing, but regardless of which everybody in the band gets very, very nervous that Bill can't be with us. Everybody knows there's a greater chance that something weird is going to happen. So, we are so lucky to have someone who worked with us for all these years. And again, when he started, he didn't know very much about right. sound. He didn't know anything about sound. He grew with us. You know, he learned, he worked his butt off to get proficient at what he does. He works for other sound companies and he's always constantly improving himself. If I go anywhere with this band, if Bill's there, we have a fighting chance of getting a good sound. That's great. Yeah, no, I get it. I, I, um, you know, I, I told you I do the sound for the, the, uh, middle school jazz band, which is actually a, a huge band. It's usually about a hundred kids. And, uh, um, and like when, you know, it, it's the same a little kind more of, piccolo, please. I'd like a little more piccolo. Well, you know, it, but it, it, you know, they've got a lot to do in a short period of time when they get set up. And, and if I'm doing the sound, it's great. Cause I know what they need. I mean, it's like what bill has with you, but if we go somewhere where somebody else is doing the sound in most cases, you know, I, I do the, the thing where I go to the engineer and usually what I say to the engineer is look, uh, I do that, you know, just, I introduce myself and I say, Hey, uh, I, you know, I, uh, are you doing front of house? Yep. Great. Pleasure to meet you. Uh, I typically do sound for these guys at home. Uh, I'm going to stand near you cause it makes the band director feel more comfortable because that way he thinks I'm telling you things, even if I'm not. So whether mm-hmm. I tell you things is up to you. I, it's fine by me either way. I'm just going to stand here and that way he's comfortable. And then usually at that point that kind of puts the guys, you know, it, it, it's sort of at ease, at ease yeah. right? Like this guy's not trying to encroach and, and this band moves from song to song really fast and there's all kinds of things happening. And usually what happens is either they say, do you want to just take the board or, all right, tell me everything, you know, immediately, you know, cause this is crazy. But you can't really do that. When to push solos and stuff like that. You, you can't mix that stuff. A hundred piece band. You can't mix that stuff blind. It's hard. Yeah. We had to do it in Disney because the, the Disney rules were such that I couldn't be in the, you know, I'm not a Disney employee. Uh, so when they played there, the guy's like, I, you know, I've got to do this. He's like, I'd love to have you in here. And I said, well, that's fine. But, uh, but he, you know, he was actually pretty good. I just warned him ahead of time, you know, because I, I know what, what's about to happen. Okay, watch that kid. Okay, now this kid. And, you know, because they come up to mics for solos. So there's a little bit of visual warning for, uh, for things. Yeah. But, but yeah, you need, you need that. And if you don't have it, you know, with Fling, we really don't like it 
when uh when somebody else is doing our sound that doesn't know the band it it yeah. it just it's unnerving actually yeah yeah it's like cuz we're used to doing our own sound where we just set it and forget it and we blend ourselves and it works really well i would say 90% of the time uh, when we do it ourselves there's those moments where it's like you know whatever and it would be really helpful to have somebody out there but for the most part we don't need it mm. uh but when we do have somebody out there and they don't know the band no matter what we tell them they want to do stuff, you know, and, and I get it. It's part of the deal. And it's always like, we have no idea how we're coming across. And that's the worst part is that, that, that lack of, of confidence in what's being translated that way. Well, I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give a good example. So one thing I hate is once we're done, I hate any chatter back to the sound guy as we go along, you know, Hey, you know, once, once you've asked for your mix, yep. I just does, don't think it sounds terribly professional. If then you're going back, can I have a little more of this, a little bit? It's it's just you know we should be focused on the audience. Deal I know you it. need what you need to do, but right. deal with it exactly right. So we had a situation on Friday night where something happened, and Nick's uh, the someone put effect on Nick's voice that was being going through my monitor mix. Oh, so I would hear the it was an echo, and I would you know a delay. I would hear a delay of Nick's voice in my ears, not matching up to the music. Oh. And it was making me crazy, right? Oh. This is a big gig. Like I said, two, 3,000 people. The sound desk is yeah. 30, 30 yards away, right? Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to, you know, yell anything out over the mic. So Bill's always scanning the stage, always looking. And I'm like, you know, give him the sign to come see me. He runs 30 yards up to make sure that, you know, and I yep. just whisper in his ear what's going on. You know, rent a sound guys often will not do that. And so then you no. got to... You know, then you got to say over the mic, hey, you know, can you solve this problem, which may be a whole litany oh. of, of things that they're going to have to check down on. Right. And your show suffers for it, which is unfortunate. Totally. So yep. I've said it before. I wish I wish everybody had a bill because it is it is one of the greatest things that can help your band be consistent. Having a sound guy or a sound process not only is it an amazing gift, you know, when you have if you're making enough money where you can kick some down and, and, yeah. and have a sound guy to be able to walk in and plug in and, and go is an amazing you know gift, oh, yeah. but also mostly just the, just the qualitative aspect of your show, having consistency from time to time, having a methodical way to get a, 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 a line check done or a sound check done, having a methodical way to solve problems. It makes all the difference. Otherwise you're, you know, you're likely to fight things and in, in a band, my size, there's, you know, we have, we have wireless, we have the four, no, five of the, all five horns have wireless mics. Yep. I have a wireless mic to sing into. Both guitarists have wireless guitars. Occasionally the bassist has wireless. You know, you think about the number of mics on a drum. I mean, we have easily 24 inputs all the time. Yeah. Troubleshooting is a thing if you don't know what's going where. If you don't know what's going, yeah, totally, totally. Well, I think that uh, that gets us near the end here, my friend. This, this was a fun one. one. Yeah. yeah, this is good stuff to talk about. And again, I'm still just so freaking on fire from a great weekend. So it's awesome. Yeah, I'll have, you, I'll hopefully I'll have a lot more stories. What do you have coming up this weekend? Weekend off. And the next weekend we have a wedding uh, right. And Black Sunday Roadshow is playing. Uh, you know, we, Black Sunday Roadshow is a 16-piece band, yeah. the Americana band. We have one gig in June, one gig in July, one gig in August. Uh, the June one is coming up. 
uh, next week or week after next. Okay. Then the house rockers have every weekend for the rest of the summer, at, at least two days a week, if not three days a week. Okay. Okay. Very cool, man. That's good. Yeah. So, I've got, uh, so I do have, I have one, I think it's just one this weekend. We have our fling fest, which is, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and that, you know, it's usually a great gig. I think this one is, if it's not sold out yet, it will be, uh, which is always fun. Uh, we've got a couple of kids bands playing a couple of bands from the high school and then, and then so cool. You do that. It is cool. It really is a blast. And this one, my daughter has taken over a good chunk of the organizational aspect. She had to, uh, for her, one of her, uh, school projects, she had to, they call it a power of one project where you're supposed to do something that benefits something else and to show what just one person putting a little bit of effort in can, can do. And so she's pulled this together and she's benefiting a group called little kids rock, um, a charity. So, uh, so the they were, are, they took part of Macworld a couple of times. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Uh, so that, that, that's, uh, that's what we're doing on Saturday night. But you know, the stone church is one of those places that has a built in PA and, uh, and we've actually kind of been going back and forth. Like, you know, do we, do we even try to bring our own PA? Cause we've had great sound in there. And then we've had kind of, you know, really not great sound. And it's all, it, I'm told it's always great in the house, but on stage, it's always been a little weird. So, um, so it's just one of those things, but, yeah. uh, but I, you know, you were saying everybody needs a bill. I, I realize now with my daughter, I have, we have that with fling because she's actually run our sound a couple of times. That's great. Yeah. So she understands enough to, you know, to, to be able to say to a, you know, a sound engineer, Hey, you know, this part this isn't right. You know, this is how they do it. I know how they do it. And that's really, like you said, that's what you need is somebody that says, I know how they do this. Let me tell you. And then you translate that into your world. And that's all that yeah. needs to happen. Yeah. Hey, I was just thinking that you do fling fest. I do this thing called the Las Gatas park dance. How about next week? We talk about the merits of organizing your own gigs. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. 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 We, got, we both have done them. So, yep. and we have a lot of experience with them. Sounds like a plan, man. All right, we'll do it next time. All right, brother. Folks, we're talking will, to you. Yeah, I'm not sure what night we'll do this because I'm in San Francisco next week, but we'll sort that out and uh, we'll figure it out. But uh, looking forward to seeing you too. I know, and we'll get to have uh, maybe have a meal together. Even that would be a, a, a awesome, a worthy thing. Yeah, man, makes the whole trip worth it. All we right, should folks. probably do that. We should probably do the podcast on Tuesday together. You want to do it together? That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I got to figure right. out. Uh, uh, how portable is your microphone rig? Do you, do you have a portable USB mic? I, I, <laughs> this is probably too much information for people. I know. Out there. Yeah. Right, uh, we can yeah, talk I, about this. We'll sort it out. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Cool. Thanks folks. We'll see you next thanks, time. Thanks everyone. Uh, feedback at giggabpodcast.com. Please do send us your, uh, questions, comments, anything. And we want to know what's in your gig bag. Cause that's coming up on a show too. So feedback yeah. at giggabpodcast.com. Thanks folks. And then facebook.com slash giggabpodcast. See you next week.